0: so God bless. Good morning, everybody. I don't know whether this is on yet, but we will. Uh, we are navigating wires, and anybody who has ever seen me speak will know that I pace a lot. Like I like to walk around. Now, I'm hoping I'll get a bit of space and I won't trip over, but welcome to church. It's not like it usually is, but it's still church. Uh, there are a few people in the room Uh, We just believed it was right to open the doors this morning for anybody who wanted to come in because people are searching this morning. And our main body of church, you are all out there listening to us live. And how incredible that we're doing this in a world of technology. And you see, there's no editing here. So I can't edit out the fact that I'm going to say, can someone pass me the pulpit? (laughs) So if somebody could just grab that pulpit for me, that'd be great. Happy Mother's Day. In this mayhem... I think we've possibly forgot to say happy Mother's Day to people. Um, some of my children remembered to do it this morning. Others were prompted. Not going to uh, mention any names who that was, um, but some were prompted. But I just want to say to all you ladies in the room, online, happy Mother's Day. We had a fantastic service planned for Mother's Day for you all, but mothers we are and ladies, we are going to... Uh, celebrate when we're all back together so you can celebrate in private today and we are going to have a church celebration of all you ladies. So welcome to Hope Church. Maybe you're not used to coming to us and you've just come across us online. This is our first time of doing it actual in real time, not a pre-recorded thing. And I just want to give a shout out to all the people that's made that happen because I know the work that's gone behind the scenes. And a shout out to these guys who stepped up and were, were like, we're doing it live. They're like, okay. And they did it. And I think they did an absolutely incredible job. And I, I noticed a couple of texts from people in the church back home just saying what an incredible experience they're having back home as well. So, yeah, it's a little bit different to how it is. But do you know what I'm focusing on? I'm focusing on our first service. I said this to Barry the other night. When we're all back together. Because I'm telling you now, we're having a party, okay? Because, yeah, okay, it's different than usual, but it's not going to be like this forever. It's going to pass. This isn't here to stay. And Hope Church when we get back together, because you know how much we love being together. So when we can all be back in one room together, we are going to raise the roof and we are going to party and there's going to be food because at Hope Church we love food and we love fun and we love joy and it's going to be amazing. And bring your mates to the party. You know, it is a time. There's different ways of looking at this. I've heard people say, what a time to be alive. And I've heard that said in the negative connotation. And I've heard that say in the positive uh, sense as well. And for me, I, I, I mean it in the positive sense. What a time to be alive on the earth. Now I can say that because I have a purpose and my purpose on the earth at this moment in time is to point people beyond the virus. It's to point people beyond this life because here's the thing, life is fragile every single day and there is a panic in this world because suddenly people have become aware that life is fragile but I want you to know today that life isn't fragile because of the virus, life is fragile every single day. From the minute you took your first breath your life was fragile. It will end one day and my charge while I am on this earth is to point people beyond what is going to happen in this life and his name is Jesus and somebody messaged me Last week, and I've had numerous conversations with people about what's going on. And my, my preach isn't going to be around the virus, okay? It, you know, because there are other situations going on, uh, and we can't spend the next however many months preaching about the blooming virus, can we? You know, we've got to be able to preach about everything else because life is continuing, life is going on. And I, I said to somebody who messaged me, I said, Look, I said, you know, I allayed I, I, I the fears and things, and I, I, and I said, But listen, I said, I I can't do anything other than point you to God because I can't tell you whether the world's going to end tomorrow, but I know the world is going to end just as our life is going to end. And I make no excuses for the fact that I'm going to point you to Jesus. And I'm going to speak to you about God. And I'm going to say that in this moment now, you do have control of what happens beyond. It lies in your hands. But when beyond happens, it's gone. Your chance is gone. And I said, some people will delete me off social media for that. Some people won't talk to me. Some people might block my texts. But I am okay with that. Because it, what a time to be alive. I have a voice. And while there is still breath in me, I will point people to Jesus. This world is just gripped with fear because suddenly they have realized that life is fragile. What's happened? The virus has just magnified the fact that life is fragile. There's something ridiculous like 150 people a day die falling down the stairs. Now, I don't know whether anybody else has done this, but I know a few people who fall up the stairs, (laughs) right? Honest, fall up the stairs. I'm yet to fathom that out, but I don't think anybody's died from falling up the stairs. So I think it's better than falling down the stairs. But life is fragile. You get in the car, life is fragile. You cross the road, life is fragile. You know, there's so many things that we do. Just being alive means that life is fragile. And the virus has just magnified it. And I want to say today to people, hold your nerve in this time. Hold your nerve. Don't lose common sense. Don't lose your, your, your wisdom that you've carried for most of your life. Don't lose those things. Hold your nerve while everything around you is going crazy. Hold your nerve. Yes, there's some changes to make in this season. Make them confidently. not make them out of fear. Whatever season life finds you in, make your changes confidently, knowing that this will pass. And the things I'm doing at the moment are for a season, but hold your nerve. I believe that this pandemic is going to bring sense to our nation. Because in the lead up to this, has anybody else It's just gone crazy? Like some of the stuff that's on the news has just gone crazy. And uh, I believe that this is, is causing um, uh, like a sobering of people for them to actually look at mortality and for them to actually look at the risen end. Uh, and, and I believe that it's going to bring sense to our nation and an explosion of souls in the church of Jesus Christ. I firmly believe that. And that is why there is an excitement within me for this time. Because I believe there is going to be an explosion of souls. You know, me and Barry were talking the other day that, you know, as pastors, we have a responsibility to speak to The the nations, you know, the the people outside of the church and all over the world who don't know Jesus, we have a responsibility to get the salvation message out, which we're doing through our media channel. We've been recording salvation messages and different kinds of things, and, you know, can I just say, if anybody's media savvy, will you get in touch with us? Because we could do with a little bit more manpower as we're churning all this stuff out, uh, because we want to get the word out there. And we have a responsibility to people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ. But we can't only have a responsibility there. We have a responsibility to the Christians and the people of faith to speak into your life and to speak into my life. So this morning I'm speaking to the people of faith. However, if you are not a person who has faith in Jesus Christ, you will get something out of this message. Because the essence of it is Jesus But as Christians, I am speaking to us this morning, and the title of my message is this Steady the Ship. And this is not about the virus, because I don't want everything to become about that around that. I am on about in our own personal lives steady the ship. Some people are watching this, and you are finding yourself in life at the moment, responding and reacting to things in ways you never thought you would. Your mind is all over the place. You feel quite frantic. You feel like there's so many different millions of things whizzing around your mind. You're afraid to admit that actually there's some fear in you because you're a Christian. You can't admit that, can you? That I've got a bit of fear. I've got a bit of unbelief. Well, let me tell you, I take heart in, in, throughout my Christian life of the verse. that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because first of all, he professes, Lord, I believe. Please help me from where, with where I'm at. And so some people in this time, you're struggling because you feel like you can't admit that you're fearful, And because you can't admit these things, you feel like you're being tossed around like a ship on stormy seas. The message today is steady the ship, and you might think, Vicky, I don't even know how to steady the ship, I feel like I have come through my life, and I've been able to do that, but right now, these, these stormy seas are so big, the fear is so great, the uncertainty is so great, I, I can't steady the ship, but you can steady the ship, there's good news, I'm going to show you how to steady the ship, and get a pen out, you know, we all, we're so big in this church on taking notes, your iPad, your iPhone your iPod your eye whatever because I'm not very technical paper and pen I love just got his paper I love paper and pen if you're at home right now you're probably frantically searching for a pen because nobody can ever find a pen when you want one whereas when you're in church they're on the back table as you know at the info point um but let's get it out and let's look at what God is speaking to us today whatever you give weight to in your life will lead you It will pull you in that direction. So in a tug of war, the the heaviest and the strongest side will always win. That's just fact. So whatever we give weight to in our life will lead us down that path. So if we give, if we have an expectation of crisis, If we give weight to crisis, if we give weight to an expectation of ruin, what will happen is, like a tug of war, which I was going to do today, but I'm not sure whether the rope's going to be too long for in between this and then you'll end up off the camera and we're trying to think all things technical as well. But if in a tug of war, if you can imagine, the weightiest side is that of ruin and the weightiest side of, of that is that of crisis, what will happen is, it will lead you into crisis. It will lead you into ruin. Now what I'm saying is, I'm not saying you're never going to have a crisis in your life, but if your weightier side is that of the things of God and the promises of God, it means when crisis comes, you are standing as a victor, not a victim, and you are standing from a place of authority. And that is what will lead your life along the right path. You know, if, you, if your weightier side is that one of death, Maybe with this virus at the moment, you're thinking about death, though you may not die, but what you're thinking about is death it will and you give that the weightier thing in your life it will pull your life down that way and you may not physically die but you may spiritually die and you may mentally die and you may emotionally die because you will because death in that because you are sitting in a place of death not in a place of life you are expecting something to happen and our expectancy brings about our experience and we need to make a choice that our weightier thing would be that we are believing for health. Because then what will happen is when we get a bit of a cough, we get a bit of a cold, we don't believe we're dying of the coronavirus. (laughs) We do what the government says we do, and we self-isolate. I'm putting this out there so that everybody knows we're doing everything right. But what I'm saying is, no, no, when we get it, we go, okay, we're going to do all the measures that we need to do, but actually I'm believing in a place of health. I remember a few years back, I had to go for tests Um, for cancer and um, from seeing the GP to getting my appointment at the hospital which was a couple of weeks later by the time I got to the hospital I near enough had every symptom you could possibly imagine for cancer I could have done a google checklist (laughs) and ticked nearly every box and people might think oh Vicky you have just been over the top no I'm not Because what was happening is I was living in a weightier place. The weightier place in my life was fear. And the weightier place in my life was death. And I'm thinking about what about my children? What about this? What about that? And I went to the hospital and my test came back and I was fine. But something inside me in that period of time had died because I had allowed the weightier thing in me to be fear and death instead of health and saying, okay, I need to go and have these tests. Okay, I'm not feeling too good at the moment, but I'm believing I'm in health. Just wait for the pages. There we go. It's all life, guys. But I'm going to live with a weightier side of peace. Because when fear comes, my weightier place of peace will draw my life along the road of peace. So when fear comes... My peace will dilute the fear. Truth will dilute the fear. Joy. If I live in a place of joy, what happens is joy in the sadness will bring me along the path of joy and somehow in my deepest and darkest times, there will be a joy that I can't even explain because I have chosen what my weightier thing will be. Expectation will lead you to an experience. A couple of years back, we went down to London and uh, Barry decides we're going on the London Eye. I nearly called it the Millennium Wheel. Was it ever the Millennium Wheel? No, have I just renamed it? Anyway, the London Eye. And all the way to walk to this London Eye, I was terrified. And I'm not even scared of heights. I don't know what all i guess like. Is it something like 135 metres suspended in the air? I mean, I'm not scared of heights, but, and, and all the way in the, Barry was having a joke and a laugh with the kids, and I just couldn't, I really couldn't, and I kind of go, hmm, like that, and pretend like that I was involved in it, and they all knew I wasn't, and all the way to, all this queue, we queued up, and all the kids are laughing, and they're looking forward to it, and everything, and, and I could not, no matter what, I could not move from the place that I was in, and that was, this pod, that I'm going to sit in, that's 135 meters off the ground, could drop at any minute. And Barry's going, don't don't be ridiculous, it won't, like, you know, it's been tested, it's it's health and safety, risk assessments, all, but can you imagine the risk assessments on the London Eye? Anyway, the pod comes and it doesn't actually stop, kind of keeps moving, so you have to jump in and you've got strangers in your pod as well, so it's not just our kids. And I sat on the bench in the middle and I think I wrecked. Everybody's experience. I'm sat there and I'm shouting, "Come away from the window! Come, al- come away from the window!" As if the window's gonna open and they're gonna fall out. And they're wanting to have a picture taken with the backdrop of London behind them. I am saying, step away from the edge. Step away from the edge." And Barry had to come and talk to me. And he's like, "Vicky, you can't like, calm down. There's all the tourists trying to have the pictures taken, and all I want to do is gather everybody into the middle because in my mind." The windows were gonna fall out, and from 135 meters above the ground, I think it's 135 meters, above the ground, everybody was gonna fall out and die. I was totally irrational. What you give weight to will lead you. I would ask you today, what's your reality? Is your reality that God is faithful? Is your reality that you know God loves you? Is your reality that you know God is real? And if that's the case, why is it that we can be so easily feeling like we're just being tossed around on a stormy sea? Because in here, I know he's real. In here, I know he loves me in here I know that I'm precious in here I know he's faithful in here I know he's the God of miracles I've seen them but then how is it that I feel like I'm so easily tossed around on a stormy sea in John chapter 1 verse 26 it says sorry verse 2 to 6 dear brothers and sisters When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. When endurance comes, it's an opportunity for great joy. When your faith is tested, it's a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. If you find yourself in a life situation at the moment and you feel tossed around on the stormy seas, go to God boldly, ask him, for wisdom. Our generous God will give it to you. He doesn't want to rebuke you and say, you haven't got wisdom. You're asking me for wisdom. How long have you been a Christian? You should have wisdom. It doesn't say that. It says, our generous God will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking him. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. This means to be intentional. You gotta get rid of your backup plan. Don't go to God and say, God, give me wisdom in this area. And, like, if it doesn't work, you're off the hook. It's okay because I'm just gonna, then I'll do this. There's no plan B. We don't need a plan B. His plan is sovereign. His plan is flawless. His plan never fails but we will approach god with a plan b and say god like i'm not going to blame you if it doesn't work cuz i'm relying on this i've got a backup plan but this says no approach him with your faith in god alone do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed About by the wind. Here's what happens when we feel like we are being tossed around by the wind our focus, our intention, what we know in here, our commitment to it becomes divided. Because we aren't just coming to God with uh, with our faith in God alone. Our circumstance is actually overriding what we know about God. Because instead of going with what we know here, we go with what we know here. And so our loyalty is divided. Our commitment is divided. And we are unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed around. What are you giving weight to right now? in your life that goes against the truth of what you know. I'm on about what you know. There's taking precedent over the truth. It's time to steady the ship. Wherever you are found today, ask yourself, what am I giving weight to? maybe you can say this I, I know i'm giving weight to peace and faith and and that's great but i would ask us all to be truthful and honest with ourselves what are we giving our weight to today because what we give our weight to will take a precedence over the truth of who jesus christ is and that will lead us along the path whatever we give weight to we are giving it a power and if it's not something of God, we are giving it a power that it doesn't deserve and an importance that it isn't, hasn't earned and doesn't belong to that and it doesn't deserve it. Steady the ship. Get things in the right order. Put things where they should be and remove what shouldn't be there. Let's make the, the main thing the main thing. That are weightier things in life would be those things of God, those things that would draw us along the right path. Be single-minded. Be narrow-minded. People say being narrow-minded is the wrong thing, not when it's the things of the Lord. Be narrow-minded. Stick to the path Stick to the course that no matter what is going on around you, you can say, no, I know God is faithful. No matter what is going on around you, you can say, no, I know God is sovereign. No matter what is going on around you, you go, no, I know God is the God of miracles. Be narrow-minded, be single-minded. In Mark 4, 35, it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And I believe there are people watching today and people in this room and you feel like you got in this boat with Jesus and you were going to cross to the other side and you were just hanging with Jesus and it's all going to be great and it was all going to be lovely and it was all going to be peaceful and the sun was going to shine and you were just going to go across the lake and everybody else is left behind and you're in the boat because you're with Jesus and, and all of a sudden the waves begin to rise and there's water in the boat And you're thinking, this wasn't what it was meant to be like. I I, I was in the boat with Jesus. We were crossing to the other side together. Jesus is peace. And I got in the boat of peace. And Jesus is joy. And I got in the boat of joy. And Jesus is life. And I got in the boat of life. And now, I'm going to die. And they were just hanging with Jesus and the storm hit. Then it says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, and I love this bit, with his head on a cushion. Jesus was at rest. He was at peace. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? do you still have no faith? When they woke Jesus up and questioned him in their fear, in the the storm that was happening around them, Jesus didn't throw them overboard for their unbelief. He dealt with the matter. He calmed the storm. But then he turned to them and he asked them a question. And God is asking us, A question today, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? What had happened was the disciples had become double-minded. They'd got in the boat of peace and it was all going to be peaceful. They were focusing on Jesus and it was all good. They got in the boat of joy. They got in the boat of this amazing experience and everything was calm. But when the storm came, they went from being narrow-minded and focused on Jesus to the magnitude of the waves taking precedent over who he was. Nothing had changed. They were still in the boat with the peacekeeper. They were still in the boat of joy they were still in the boat of life. Nothing had changed. Only the fact that they'd become double-minded because they had moved from just focusing on who he is to what was going on around them. They knew he was with them, but their ways came and took precedent over the truth that Jesus was with them. And that was where their panic an anxiety set in. The disciples became double-minded, tossed around on the waves that they allowed to take precedence over the truth of what they knew to be true. You know, there's a man in the Bible called Abraham. I'm pretty sure even if you don't go to church, you've probably heard who Abraham is. Abraham was a man of great faith. When I was a little girl in Sunday school. We used to sing Father Abraham. Had many sons and there was actions in the song. Or used to go on forever. It was like a marathon. There was that many different actions to it. But in Romans, it talks about Abraham. You see, as we've just looked at the disciples being people who became double-minded, Romans talks about Abraham. And it talks about Abraham and his single-minded faith. Can I say to you today, hold your nerve. Steady the ship. Have a single-minded faith. Check in on where you're at. Because here's what Romans chapter four, verse 16 onwards says. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, that's the deal breaker. It's not the law, it's the faith like Abraham. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham didn't just believe that the dead could come back to life and that new things could come from nothing. He believed in the one who did it. Anybody can believe that things can happen. Anybody believe, can believe that we can walk on ice on a frozen pond and it's going to be thick enough to get us across. Anybody can believe in anything. But Abraham believed in the one who brought dead things back to life. That was the key. He believed in the God that did it. He didn't just believe in the, in the, in the act, in the miracle. He, it was the object of his faith that counted. And for some people, you're holding out for a miracle and your whole focus is on the miracle. And when this miracle happens, then I'm going to be okay. And when this changes, then, then I'll be okay. And when this happens, then I'll go to church, God. And when this happens, I'll read my Bible. And when this happens, God, I'll worship you. And actually, the importance is the object of our faith. Yes, we believe for miracles, but anybody can believe for a miracle, but we need to believe in the one who causes the miracle to take place. Having lots of faith gets applauded. Have you ever heard that? Oh, they've got a lot of faith. (coughs) Have you ever been told you need more faith? Because when, you know, oh, you need more faith. Because you can be looked down a little bit, can't you? And you need more faith. People have strong faith, they're revered. People who put on a gown, oh, they must have strong faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. It's not in a gown you wear. It's not in your credentials. It's not in the miracle that you're waiting for. It's the object of your faith. And the object of Abraham's faith was the God who brought back to life. The God who created stuff out of nothing. Goes on to say, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. He wasn't in denial of the circumstances. He just wasn't intimidated by them. Abraham was well aware of what was going on. Abraham was well aware that his body was as good as dead. But his faith was in the one who creates the miracle, not in the miracle. And when your faith, when the object of your faith is in the one who creates the miracles, when your object of faith is the one who created the world, those scary things aren't so scary anymore because your object of faith is almighty God. Abraham was fully aware of the facts. He just wouldn't allow himself to be intimidated by them. He made a choice. He was like, no, no, I know the God that gave me the promise because it's the God who brings the dead to life. So this womb of Sarah's, it's okay because m- my faith is in the God who brings the dead to life. My, uh, my faith is in the God who Create something out of nothing. He was single minded. He was narrow minded. Because he focused on God and God alone. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises. You know, just as the worship team get back up. I just want to talk to you about your faith. Some of you don't believe you've got enough faith. Some of you don't believe that your faith is big enough. Some of you, you're comparing your faith to other people's faith, and you're going, well, that, they get that because their faith is bigger than mine. They get that because they've, they've been a Christian longer than me. It's not about the size of your faith. It's not about how long you've been a Christian. I know people who've been a Christian for many, many years. And there's a whole lot of head knowledge going on. And very little of this going on. Because it's not about the size of your faith, it's about the object of your faith. And you see, the object of your faith is not something that you need to earn. It's not something you receive when you've been a Christian for many years. It's not something you receive as you become a pastor. It's not something you receive when you become a kids worker. It's not something you receive because you pick up a microphone on the platform. It's something you receive when you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. Because the object of your faith is God and God alone. And so I believe that today is a day of celebration because God is bringing things that were dead to life right this moment, because some of you have believed a lie that you don't have enough faith, and that's why things aren't working. All that's happened is your focus has been in the wrong place, and you've believed a lie. The fact is that you have enough faith if your object of faith is God, and God alone, just like Abraham's was, and that was why he he did not waver. Actually, Abraham's situation was his platform. Listen to this. Abraham's inadequacy to produce something himself became the arena in which God's power would be shown. Some of you are trying to produce something yourself and you feel quite inadequate because you can't produce it. You're in a season of your life and you're like, at my stage of life, my life shouldn't look like this. And you are feeling quite inadequate. I say to you today, no, no, your inadequacy to produce something is the arena for God's power to be shown. I remember as a child going on a trip to Chester, you know, to the amphitheater, and I remember going in, and, and, and it reminded me of this. And, and in the middle was where everything went on, and all the the seats all up at the side. And I just kind of saw a vision today of no, no, when we can't do it ourselves and we're feeling inadequate, that is the arena for God to stand in the middle, and for his power to be shown. If you make the object of your faith, God, in Abraham's mind, the fact that God calls the things that are dead to life was enough for him, because he knew God to be faithful, and for some of you today, you need to see where God has been faithful before, You need to see the promises of God. You need to see the miracle of God in your life and you need to grab hold of it with both hands. You need to bring it into your current situation and you need to stand on it like a rock and you need to start declaring, no, no, the God who brings the dead to life did this for me. The God who created something out of nothing did this for me. Because God is the object of my faith. God and God alone. The non-existent capacity of Sarah's womb was the very place to prove God's ability. Your emptiness and your lack is the very place where God's ability will be proved if you make him the object of your faith. So today is a day to steady the ship, realign ourselves, With God and God alone, Abraham showed that faith was the link between the knowledge of who God is and the difficulty that was there and the faith was the thing that linked it together. Your situation today is the arena for God's power to be shown.